Welcome to the Childhood Cancer Hall of Champions podcast. Our mission is different. We are not about numbers, cures, donations, or research initiatives. We want to dedicate our platform, childhoodcancerhall.com, and this podcast to children age 0 to 21 and their families who are affected by childhood cancer. We want to share their stories, celebrate their lives, and create a community and support network that's forever free for these families. Whether you're a child, sibling, family member, friend, or someone who wants to learn more about this subject, you're welcome here. It's a safe place where we can help lift each other up, educate the public, find a new language, and let the stories live on. Let the families not be defined by cancer. These are their stories, legacies, and living memorials. Welcome to another episode of the Childhood Cancer Hall of Champions podcast. This is your host, Fei Wu. On today's episode, I get to chat with Chris Jerome, mother of Anna Jerome. Anna was a very happy, friendly, and smart girl. She was a daughter, a twin, a big sister, a cousin, a student, an athlete, a band member, and a friend. When she received her diagnosis of AML, an aggressive form of leukemia, the summer before her freshman year at Boston Latin School, the whole community was shaken. Ani enjoyed shopping, music, going to Patriot Games, but most of all, she loved the beach. Her favorite places to visit were the Cape with her cousins or Myrtle Beach with her family. Anna's Pals Beach House will offer an essential respite from a clinical environment for immunocompromised pediatric cancer patients and their families, allowing them the opportunity to breathe fresh ocean air and recharge, while connecting with other families who have had similar experiences and helping to prepare them for the road ahead. Chris and I were able to chat about Anna's stories, not just as a pediatric cancer patient, but to celebrate her life. Chris shared her own reflections when it comes to parenting, grief, remembering Anna, and the incredible community she and her family are a part of. Anna's school, her siblings, classmates, the Boston Children's Hospital, the social workers. Chris was also very open to sharing insurance information and tips when it comes to mass health here in Massachusetts. So on behalf of Childhood Cancer Hall of Champions, I want to thank Chris and her family for allowing us to share their stories. If you would like to learn more about our work, please visit childhoodcancerhall.com. If you would like to share your story or someone else's story, please visit our website, click on the button, share your story to get started. We look forward to hearing from you. First of all, I will say, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. I, I will confess that, you know, we have recorded maybe seven, eight different episodes, and I know how challenging uh, it is for parents to open up parents, siblings, family and friends to open up to talk about um, the journey of uh, having a child who have lived through this. And it's um, you know, as a result, we're also learning from certain doctors because we're not doctors ourselves. And, you know, we're trying to connect with doctors and uh, mental health professionals and therapists uh, to kind of assist us with this projects for us to uh, 
really be able to talk about these children's stories. So thank you for your trust in me and feel free to navigate me, to educate me on, on certain things and issues too. I'll try. <laughs> thank you so much for that. So we'll get started again. You know, if there are any questions, things that you, do, you choose not to answer or you're not, just let me know. We're very, okay. very flexible. So okay. Um, so, okay, I'm just going to do a quick countdown, quick space, and we'll get started with a conversation. It's just like chatting with me in Starbucks or somewhere else. Um, we can completely be ourselves. Okay, sounds good. Hi, Chris, Jerome, thank you so much for joining us here at Childhood Cancer Hall of Champions podcast. We've had the show for, you know, a little less than a year. And I know that it takes tremendous amount of courage and uh, for you to be here with us. So thank you so much for your time, for your attention. We really appreciate that. Thanks for having me. So Chris, let's get started with your story. And first, I want to say that for our listeners who are not as familiar with Anna's story, and could you please tell us about her? Anna was uh, an incredible girl. She was happy. She was friendly. She was smart. She was a twin. She was a big sister. She was a cousin, a student, an athlete. She played in the band. She uh, lectured at church. She sang in the choir. She, you know, was an honor roll student. She was she was everything that every parent could ever want in a in a child. She was absolutely trouble free, fabulous. She was she was just great. Mm. Truly, truly, she was healthy, never sick until until she wasn't. Mm -hmm. And I read so much about Anna's stories and uh, everything you said. And I just, one thing that really captured our eyes was just, she has this phenomenal smile. She's so radiant, you know, from, I, I saw some of the pictures while she was in treatment and that smile just didn't change uh, with the family Not and once. friends. Not um, once. In fact, for another, um, a, another, Something, another project I was working on, um, we were looking for some pictures of her going through treatment, you know, that was, she was more solemn and, and I couldn't find a picture that she wasn't smiling in. I mean, the whole time, even when she felt miserable, she was just, she, her smile lit up the room and she, she shared it with the world. I mean, truly her doctors would wake up, wake her up in the morning when they were doing their rounds and she would just wake up with a smile. It was incredible, wow. really incredible. Um, I, I often wonder like what what gives you know Anna and and a few other children that and parents we've spoken with there's just a tremendous amount of strength. Do you think you know she was? I wonder how much of that like that these children are so grown up, um, no matter their age, and they care about the feeling, the emotion, especially of you, Chris, as a mom, and you know for her dad, for her siblings, her friends. Um, how much of that do you think she's she was hoping to comfort you versus she's she's really was able to see like the brighter side of things see the things like beyond herself i was just wondering well she was always cup half full i mean she was i mean cup all the way full she, she was never i mean she was was never unhappy i mean she would do her homework while skipping around you know practice her spelling words while dancing and singing i mean she constantly 
constantly happy. I mean, with her friends, she was always happy. With her siblings, she was always happy. Well, not always with her siblings, <laughs> but most of the time. Um, and I, I really just think, I think, I think you, you were right. She didn't want us to worry. And if she kept on that brave, you know, that brave face, we wouldn't worry as much, but I think it was also just part of who she was. I mean, you know, you smile and you get through it. And I think that's just the way she lived her life. You know, even when things aren't great, you fake it till you make it, you know, and you know, if you, if you force a smile, eventually it becomes real. And I think she really lived by that. Wow. And that's, that's just incredible. I mean, it's something that we, we talk about, but really to, for me to let it sink in, um, to realize how challenging it was for such a young person and to have gone through this for the first time and not the second time necessarily, you're really stepping into the unknown. Um, and I'm not sure if you knew that Chris, but I'm also based in Boston. Oh, 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 now you're back. Oh, oh, there we go. Oh, something. I don't know what happened. Uh, let me know at any time if this yeah, is not there. Um, so uh, I'm not sure if you knew, but I'm also based in Boston. So reading her story, looking at the name of Boston Latin School, it means so much to me. I mean, I know my friends and, you know, my friends' kids who have attended the school. So, you know, as much as I, I mentioned that we, we need to talk about our journey and, you know, that these children really battle with cancer for any children, we're adults, but we love to get to know her, her life. So, um, I always, I'm always curious, like to, to, I mean, I wish part of me, like, I want to sit down, you know, with Anna, like give her a hug and get to know her, ask her about her favorite food, her favorite flavor of ice cream. Could you help us paint a picture? And then you're sitting, I assume this is her room. I see her name there. So that's um, for the, her services. Her friends cut her name out of foam board and they put pictures of her all over the foam board. And we just took those and hung them up. Wow. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And um, what what was she like? I would love to know like her favorite toys and the places she loved going to. She loved everything. I mean, she just loved life. She loved music. She loved dancing. Um, She loved her siblings. She loved her friends. She loved to eat. Uh, She didn't find much food she didn't like. Um, she, she just lived, I mean, for her short life, she really lived it to the fullest. I mean, she loved school. She was a student. I mean, if you know Boston Latin, you know that the curriculum is challenging and she was able to, they don't call it honor roll there. Mm -hmm. They call it, um, approbation. And she was able to maintain her approbation status while she was in the hospital. And that's, that's not easy. Wow. You know, and uh, she worked hard and fortunately she was bright enough and with the hard work, she was able to accomplish that. She, she was, she was just happy all the time. That smile, as we talked about, I mean, mm-hmm. she was just happy. She, she mm-hmm. uh, wasn't crazy. She wanted to go to Boston Latin school, but she wasn't crazy about it once she went because <laughs> um, she and her siblings had gone to school with me where I taught. And so uh, for her to leave and go off on her own with Will and go to the great unknown that was Boston Latin School, she would um, come home the first couple of weeks. She said, I don't, I don't like it there. You know, people don't know me. People don't compliment me on my hair or my outfit. <laughs> and they, the teachers would at St. Teresa's, right? Because they all knew her and because they, they're, you know, they were my peers. 
And, uh, but after Christmas time, she settled down and she began to truly embrace everything that was, that was Latin and she loved it. She, you know, loved meeting people from other neighborhoods. Cause you know, here in West Roxbury, she pretty much in going to the local school here. She only knew kids from around here. Um, but she loved meeting friends from all over the city and, and, you know, learning about different cultures and, mm. and all that stuff. She just loved to learn. She, she just loved life. I mean, truly. Wow. Yeah. I saw that when I saw several pictures of her with her friends and exactly like you said, I know Boston Latin is a very diverse school and amongst her friends, I saw the same thing, you know, kids from a different skin color, different backgrounds and, and really bring a lot of the girls really bring them together, which you often don't really always see for that age because people are living in such silos and there's a lot of drama. Um, right. But I just, I saw her often with her friends, always doing something together, you know, throughout this entire journey. You must be, you must be so proud. And I just heard you say something else, Chris, when you said she didn't end up in the school that you were teaching, but she wanted to. So it, it, it sounds absolutely lovely because I know that some of my friends who would absolutely not be in the same school where their parents are teaching. Right, right. No, we were, I mean, we went to school together. We came home together. All of us has a posse. I mean, it was, it was really nice for me. I mean, a lot of parents don't have the kind of time with their kids that I did because I was with them all the time. Um, and it worked out really well, but yeah, she, uh, yeah, she, she brought in people at wherever she went. I mean, she would always, every time there was a new student that came to St. Teresa's, she would want to be one of the first ones to go over and introduce herself and invite them to join she and her friends. And this one particular time they were doing a, a, uh, a project mm -hmm. for, I think they had to make, uh, maybe presidents out of two liter soda bottles. Mm -hmm. And, uh, one of the students in, in, in her class didn't have parents that were particularly involved in what she was doing and so mm -hmm. you know Anna invited her over here with her friends and they set up and we went to the store and we bought stuff for not only Anna and Will but also this other student and you know she really wanted the other student to be successful and she wanted her to make sure that she felt like she had friends and she really mm -hmm. included her and that was just one incident of of her just mm -hmm. being her. Wow I mean that is so related uh, so relevant to the project you're working on uh, that's, you know, has her name after it, you know, Anna's Pows. And you're building this beach house for children who are, you know, have similar conditions or who are immune, uh, immunocompromised. I'm not a doctor, so I started to really educate myself based on some of the articles and the videos that you have shared. So I feel like in it really in Anna's spirit, this is something precisely what, what she would have done. You know, uh, and now you're building this opportunity for other children and family. Could you tell us a bit about that, please? Like where that idea even came from? So, as I mentioned, there wasn't anything that she didn't like to do, but one of her favorite activities was going to the beach. Um, she and her friends would like to go. She was a fish. She would be in the water the longest, you know, longer than anyone. Um, loved to swim, loved to be with her friends. Um, when she had her bone marrow transplant. She wasn't able to be around her friends as much as she had in the previous treatment that she had gone through. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that was hard for her. She, I mean, the nurses dubbed her room the party room because there were always kids in there after school. Like I would have to, there was no room for anybody else. It was just teenagers in that room for months on end. And then when she had a bone marrow transplant, that stopped because she could only have one or two people in the room at a time due to her compromised immune system. So um, we really took note of that and noticed how it, it definitely um, affected her demeanor. I mean, she was still happy, but there was definitely something missing. And when she came home after her, her bone marrow transplant, she was given a list of no's. You know, you can't eat any fresh fruits or vegetables. You can't, you know, you can't have any watermelon. You can't eat salad. You can't have any takeout. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't have your friends in your house. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't be around other people. You can't go to a store. She's a teenage girl. She's all about shopping. Please, not going to a store. That was torture. Um, so we were fortunate enough that we have a backyard and we're fortunate enough that we live in an urban area where her friends can get here and they could hang out in the backyard. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, while she was in treatment, she was acutely aware of the kids who didn't have a parent there, the kids who didn't have friends visit, and that really bothered her. So the whole idea of building this beach house for immunocompromised kids with their families is so the kids can go with their family. Mm-hmm have a safe environment where they can have friends come or family members come. They can, you know, play outside. I mean, if you live in an apartment, there's no place for you to have, you know, your friends come, you could come to this beach house and, you know, there's a safe place. Your friends can meet you there and you guys can play, you can be kids and it's safe. I mean, we'll meet all the safety requirements of the hospitals and the clinics. And, you know, it's, this treatment is hard on the whole family. And, um, I know that Anna's siblings suffered through this as well as Anna and other families have siblings that are suffering. Mm -hmm. So why not provide an opportunity to them to bond as a family as well? So that, you know, maybe the, the healthy children might not resent the sick child as much because that's, there's a lot of resentment that goes on. You know, they don't, they don't mean to, but they're just kids and they don't comprehend Right. seriousness of the situation. So if we could give them an opportunity to get away as a family and, you know, have other, you know, have grandma come visit, have, you know, your friend from school come visit for a day. I mean, that just, it raises everybody's spirits and, you know, makes everybody feel better and a little bit more normal. Yeah, exactly. And especially in this, you know, as we're recording this, um, we're at the end of the first wave of the pandemic, but also, you know, Delta is kicking in. So I, I, one thing that we notice running Childhood Cancer Hollow Champions is how much more difficult the pandemic has caused these, these parents and children. And to get the timeline straight, um, Chris, I was wondering, was um, this, this project uh, has become active after Anna has passed on, or was she able to also enjoy bits and pieces of the beach house? Was this integrated into her life and treatment? No. Sadly, no. Um, we, we have developed the idea after, after we were reflecting on, mm-hmm. on her treatment and what, what would have made it better for her, what would have made it easier for her and, and having an outlet definitely would have. And there's, there's just no place for an immunocompromised family to go. You can't run an Airbnb, right? Mm-hmm. You, can't, you can't be very far from your doctor's. You can't, you can't even go to the store. You, I mean, you've seen the 2020s about hotels, right? I mean, you can't, you can't do that. So, I mean, she was, first she was in lockdown at the hospital and then she was released, but she was again in lockdown just at home. I mean, she, 
she was released from the hospital, but she could not go on with her normal life. Right. And we would like to give them a little piece of normal, give them, I mean, it's very stressful having a child go through that. I mean, for the whole family. So, I mean, everybody knows that the beach is just calming and soothing. You hear the sounds, you, the sand, the sights. I mean, it's just, just to give everybody a little reprieve. Yeah. So needed. Wow. She would have loved it. Now she, sadly, she wasn't able to participate, but she would have definitely loved it. Yeah. And this is where I, you know, I have, I am someone, um, I lost my dad when I was 26 and the previous two years prior to that was just in and out of hospital constantly. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And even though I can't say I can understand what a parent is or, or, you know, went through. And I just remember, I clearly remember all the moments and how difficult it still is for my mom and myself and in recent years. And frankly, currently, I have a lot of friends who are going through different treatments, you know, lung cancer, um, breast cancer. And so I, you know, I, th this conversation is, it's really meaningful. And I just want to say that it, th it's so important for us to have these conversations yet as an organization, as a podcast host, it's been really challenging for us to encourage people to really open up, to talk about this. So like, Chris, I want, as part of my notes, I really want you to like educate us to kind of maybe even coach us a little bit um, because you have the experience of not only starting Anna's Pouse, but you're proactively reaching out to other parents. So I guess my first question is, how have others responded back to you? Has it always been easy where there's a lot of explanation that needs to happen, logistical things that uh, you need to manage? It's, it's very hard because if a child, if a parent has had a child who struggled through cancer, I usually get one of two reactions is a, you know, my child is well right now. And I'm afraid to talk to you because I don't want to join your club because I'm a, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't, I didn't have a good end result and, and people are afraid of that. Right. And then same as if, if they've lost their child, they don't necessarily want to talk to me either because it's too hard. It's too hard, hard to have that conversation. So I'm kind of an island by myself because, and, and I, and I respect both sides. I, I see it and I understand it completely. It's a challenge and it's, mm -hmm. you know, if, if someone has had a positive result, they really don't want to talk to someone who has not, you know, they don't, they can't let their mind go there. And I, I get that. I see. Yeah. That's, that's kind of how uh, we have been feel like we're fighting an uphill battle, uh, even though I feel like you're looking at the beach house, frankly, the moment I look at the first five seconds of that video, my reaction is like, I want to go there. Like clearly, I don't know what it's for. And I just love how the landscape and everything emerges. And it just, it feels like a community, even though it's not a, it's not a huge place. I know you're not building out condos, but it's just this yeah. lovely, uh, home that's out there for, for people. And I've uh, lived through the past five years, a friend of mine whose son um, was diagnosed with brain cancer at the age of two. And frankly, Sorry. they were, yeah, they were very clear that even when his mom was pregnant with him, it was already developing, um, most likely based on the size of the, the tumor. And the past five years has been um, really like, if I may say, just living hell for, for the parents, you know, they're trying to make money. Mom can't really work. 
Um, he's had seizures almost every night. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it just it is unimaginable. So when I started the project and I invited them in and they were very nice, very kind and said that they didn't want to share any more of the stories. Um, so meanwhile, um, you know, we're trying to be really not just public, trying to be very open about this because there are people who can benefit and know that they're not alone because they're, they're truly are not alone. Cause we, we have stories from Italy, from Sweden, from, from France, uh, people who, whose first language is not English and who struggle to write the stories, but they really want to contribute. So what have you noticed maybe even in like little pockets and moments and times where people who have been to the house, who have reached out to you to say, wow, where have you been all my life? Or this is, uh, this is life-changing. So the house is not built yet. We don't have the, uh, we're, we're working on the raising the funds to build the house. Mm-hmm. Um, people that I've spoken to in, you know, just different, different groups trying to get a reaction, you know, cause I need that for the business plan to, to funders who would use the house and why mm-hmm. they, they are ecstatic. They're like, where, where have you been? How come this isn't already a thing? Yeah. You know, how, you know, when, 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 when can I bring my family there? I'm, I'm excited about this project. You know, what can we do to help? And, you know, I was actually shocked when I started looking, looking around at doing this, that there, there really isn't much for immunocompromised children. Mm-hmm. They're definitely a forgotten population. And there's a lot of them. I mean, it's not just kids who had bone marrow transplants. Mm-hmm. I mean, lots of kids are suffering, you know, there's kidney transplants and heart transplants and, you know, lots of kids with, with autoimmune disorders that are immunocompromised that just don't live a normal life mm-hmm. and their families don't live normal lives mm-hmm. and they have no, no reprieve. They have no escape from their daily routines, mm-hmm. you know, and they need it. We all need an escape now and then we all need to stop and think and prepare ourselves for the next move. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as of right now, it doesn't exist. That's, right. that's my struggle trying to, trying to provide something for them because it, they need it. Right. We needed it and we didn't have it. I would like someone else to be able to have that. Wow. And you've raised a lot of awareness. And I know that having gone through nonprofit projects, it feels like you're you're never making progress, making enough progress. Things should have been done last week. Um, but I saw based on the donation that you're making tremendous amount of progress. So getting yeah, getting there. How getting there. Yeah, for listeners, maybe even a small percentage of listeners who are interested in learning more, staying involved, um, what's the best way to to contribute to your project? Uh, maybe there, there are monetary options, but maybe there are other ways to contribute. If they don't have enough money, what are your thoughts? The, the best way is through our website at annaspals.org. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, at any amount, any donation, you know, $5 to $5,000, I mean, we'll, we'll everything... Mm-hmm works. The small donations add up after a while. And, you know, it's just so needed. It is so needed. We used to, prior to COVID, do drives for uh, Boston Children's and for Dana-Farber, the Gemini Fund, to bring in bedside distractions. Right now, they're not allowing that. I'm hoping in the near future. I mean, if the Delta variant goes away, hopefully we'll be able to return to do that. Mm-hmm. But um, right now, our sole focus is on, I mean, I, I feel like with COVID, people maybe can understand a little bit mm. what these kids face with the isolation. I mean, we were in COVID quarantine. That's what these kids do. But, you know, it, mm-hmm. theirs is a long time, a much longer than a couple of months we had. So 
Mm-hmm. You know, our, our sole focus right now is on this project and getting it up and running. And I'm, I'm hoping that people can understand it a little bit better now that they've had to deal with the COVID quarantine and they can appreciate. I mean, as adults, we struggle with a quarantine. Imagine being a kid and a kid who's not well, mm-hmm. you know? Mm. Yeah. And that's definitely good to know. We'll make sure to include links and ways to get involved uh, in your project as part of our story and definitely as part of this podcast. Um, but for people who are listening, want to learn more about this project, um, would it be fair to say that Anna's uh, Pals is probably best for Massachusetts residents or all, children from all around the world, perhaps, who are or receiving treatments in Massachusetts can, can benefit from it? Well, right now, we're concentrating on doing this project close to as close to Children's Hospital as possible. Mm-hmm. And there are people from everywhere who have treatment there. So, I mean, the thing is, if, you, if you're immunocompromised, you probably can't get on a plane, right. right? So it would have to be someone who has access to the area. But if you're getting treated at children, Children's and you, they, you know, release you for a weekend or a week before your next round and you can't go home, you could hopefully be able to come to the, to the beach house. It doesn't, it's not, it's not just for local people, mm-hmm. but it would right now, while we're just working on this one project, it would probably be the Boston area, New England, that people who can get there. Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine there will be at the beginning and maybe a little bit quiet, but once people understand what it's for, how they can benefit, I think that demand will, will go up very drastically. So in terms of um, the the setup, I'm not sure. Uh, have you thought about like how long they can stay, or what, what the arrangement might be for, you know, dozens if not hundreds of families possibly? That's my goal. I would like to be able to to get everybody in there who could who could come. Um, the plan is right now to build five cottages that are safe for these kids having, you know, air filtration systems, being clean to hospital standards, all of that stuff wheelchair accessible um, within an hour to an hour and a half of Boston Children's Hospital. And my goal would be to have each family be able to stay for, you know, six days. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, depending on the demand, I mean, maybe we have to cut it to three days to allow for another family to come for three days, but it would definitely depend on, on how things progress. Mm-hmm. We just want them to be able to get away in day trips. You know, if you're mm-hmm. local, you can come for the day. Yeah, you know, we have we'll have the facilities for you to just come be a kid. Yeah, enjoy your life with your family. Exactly, and that can only help their with their treatment. And I I even remember with my friends with my dad, the number one thing that they they ever wanted was to come home and right. to be with their family and friends, to be away from Florence and lights and the hospital sounds and machines as much as they possibly could. Um, and, uh, you know, I rarely, I've never talked about digital marketing or business side of things, even on this podcast, but I think there's a really unique and interesting opportunity is I've seen several other parents who are going down the path of honoring their children, starting these projects. But frankly, a lot of these parents are don't know where to start. Nonprofits, 
you know, copywriting social media is just like, we are not designed for this and we don't know who can help us with this endeavor. And um, I was just wondering in terms of building a business model, um, is the, uh, what is it like for uh, this project? Will parents um, need to pay? I feel like reasonably maybe, uh, a, you know, a fee that would be necessary for them to say, or, or is there other ways to kind of fund the project? Well, my goal is to have it not have them not pay. I mean, wow. for me, I had to take the year off. I'm a teacher. I had to take the year off from work to, to stay with Anna every day. I mean, that was a, you know, a cut to our family budget. Um, and, yeah. and we were fortunate that I was able to do that, but I mean, some people have to decide to leave their child alone to, you know, pay the rent or they have to keep their job so they can have the health insurance to pay the hospital bill. Right. And I, I, my goal is to have this be an escape. I don't want to add any added stress to them. So come and stay. It will be free. Um, my hope is that we will have um, annual sponsors. Mm -hmm. So, you know, through the sponsorship, someone could sponsor, you know, spend send $2,000 and that would pay for a family to come for a week, you know, and, mm -hmm. and through these sponsorships, we should, we would be able to support these families staying there. Because mm -hmm. it, it, the whole thing is to give them a reprieve, you mm -hmm. know, little respite. And, you know, when you're worrying about paying for their child's prescription, you know, you can't afford to make that, mm -hmm. you know, a rental. So we, we would like to be able to take the burden off them and just let them come and take a mm -hmm. deep breath and relax. Wow. wow. This, this project is even more, I would say, uh, I think it will capture a lot of people's attentions. And I think for corporate sponsors, institutions, and and even brands of their companies who really pay attention to it. And that's something, you know, I know we're recording right now, but I just want to also say that, Chris, I happen to be working in, in marketing and I'm also a YouTuber. So, you know, working with brands, I don't love the word called brand deals, brand sponsorships, but I happen to know um, quite a number of ins and outs of how to navigate around that. So if there's anything that I can offer you um, to, to help um, to even explore, I think would be very helpful because, I think for childhood cancer in the project and my other project is for people with disabilities and serious illness in general, it is not easy. So um, could you maybe share some reflections in terms of like uh, seeking help from other people? What are some, you know, in terms of messaging, sometimes approach, what has worked best? Because that's kind of a question that I think has come up a lot in our community. Um, Parents There's don't know that, where to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I struggle with that too. Mm -hmm. You know, um, we don't have, obviously we don't have the funding we need yet. Mm -hmm. um, I know when, when we were admitted to children's, um, they were absolutely fabulous. I mean, absolutely fabulous. The social worker came the next day and they gave us all these, you know, apply for this, apply for that, do this, do that. And, you know, I know other I have spoken to other families who didn't have that kind of help, which is wow. great. And, you know, we are hopeful that once Anna's pals beach house is up and running, they mm -hmm. will, we will be added to their, to their list when they come in. But as far as us getting the word out to, to get the donations that we need, we're definitely struggling with that too. I mean, mm -hmm. yes, we are, it's growing, but it's not growing fast enough for my liking. I mean, I wanted this built yesterday, you know? Right, right. 
Wow, that is very encouraging for me to hear that uh, social workers at Boston Children's Hospitals, they were very knowledgeable and they were very helpful, at least, because I know that makes a world of difference. Um, I'm also the caregiver, care um, taker, caregiver for my mom. I know that the, the terms are somehow like these days are changing to caregiver. Um, and I had no idea what I was doing. And, oh, you know, my challenging. mom, it is very challenging. You know, she's being elderly, like how, you know, how do I transport her, carry her? How do I find a translator for her? The littlest things that I didn't even think about, they were able to trigger and, and help me out with. So I would love to approach them. I, I feel like number one, who knows, they might be interested. Most likely they, they would be interested in your project, but I would love to um, approach them and maybe interview someone um, so that the knowledge can be shared a little bit more broadly because there's certain things that comes from, you know, the U.S. federal government that is helping people, even though state by state, the, the rules and the benefits can drastically differ. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. So Definitely tell us learned that over COVID. That, I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, sorry. Tell us a, maybe a bit um, about what you learned from the social workers or there's some of the things maybe parents should think about because it, it's always such shocking news. Nobody's ever, I've not heard of one person who is prepared for what's to come. So Yeah, you don't know. I mean, I, Anna's story is that I thought she had strep throat. I mean, I brought her in for a strep test and she had leukemia. I mean, who... Who, who thinks that, you know? Yeah. Um, so I guess the most shocking thing for me was they asked us to apply for mass health and mm -hmm. we had private insurance right. and they said, apply for mass health anyways, because the co-pays are astronomical and mass health will cover your co-pays. Like what? And, you know, we did. And, um, MassHealth helped, helped us out a lot. There was one particular uh, medication that Anna had to take when she came out after her bone marrow transplant. She had to take it for a week and each dose was $17,000. And um, MassHealth picked up the copay for that. I mean, we would be, we would have had to sell our house. I mean, we yeah. you know, and I think of that people without, without insurance, I mean, what, what happens to them? How do they pay these bills? And so just that little nugget was very helpful. And actually, fast forward, I had a friend later after Anna who um, her sister was diagnosed with ovarian cancer and her sister, you know, just worked at a dry cleaner. She's older, you know, part-time job working at a dry cleaner, didn't have great medical insurance and had to go through these treatments. And I said, apply for mass health and maybe they can, and she was able to get some help with that. And, you know, that's just not common. No, you feel like if you have insurance, then that's, that's it. So, I mean, that was probably one of the greatest benefits that those social workers pointed out to us because we wouldn't have known. And I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even considered it. It wasn't even on my radar. We had insurance. Why would I look elsewhere? Wow. Mass health is incredible. Um, they, yeah. they definitely helped out my mom too during completely uh, unexpected moments. And wow, I can't, it's so good to hear that name come up again, even though they always have these, you know, people write about insurance and give these terrible reviews, but having someone on the inside to know that these are the systems that you can work with. Can, right. Yeah, Chris, can you think of anything else? Like, I know we're here in Massachusetts and um, where Obamacare first started and- Thank God. Um, yeah. I mean, 
just the whole pre-existing condition aspect of it. I think about that all the time. You know, had Anna been here today, mm-hmm. would she ever be able to get insurance knowing that she is a, a risk of, of, you know, of relapse? I mean, my neighbors, I have a couple of neighbors that are diabetic. I mean, having that pre-existing condition, I mean, Obamacare really made a difference for so many families just in with that little, little clause. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, huge difference. Wow. And I think here in, in Boston, we are so fortunate that there are just so many great, great hospitals and great minds. And we have, you know, Tufts and Harvard, all these, you know, great students, you know, researchers working on the next best thing. I mean, I feel like Anna at the end was on a clinical study mm-hmm. and that probably gave her another month that she wouldn't have had. And that, that was from from one of our researchers right here. I mean, I feel like, you know, mm-hmm. living in, in Boston was definitely to our betterment. Wow. Sure. Yeah, for sure. And, and I have learned, and I currently am working with, uh, I have worked with several palliative care doctors and something I didn't even know what the word palliative care even meant. And, uh, you know, I remember my, both my parents, uh, were in, myself included, were very poor mental health for the last year. It was just so much to go through. And my dad was also receiving in, uh, treatments in China at the time, which was a very different, I would say, um, uh, different, very different mentality, different treatment plans. And one thing that I sometimes I still have nightmares for is whenever he was at the ICU, there was a light next to all these names and other people always green or orange. But my dad's was always red. Red means he could just go any moment. And we were living in that fear for months. And from a, I was thinking like from a user, exp- user experience perspective, that was probably the worst design I've ever yeah. seen in this world. Um, so with that said, uh, Chris, do you, um, you know, I was wondering, like, were you able to receive any, any help either even back then or now, like proactively seeking um to speak with other people uh, about grief or daily grief, as we all we all live through these days, what was that process like for you? I didn't I didn't really um, seek any out, but again, with childrens, they had a psychologist who made rounds on the floors, and they would come speak to the parents, wow, and make sure that the parents were good. And 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 you know, again, childrens was phenomenal, and I know there's a, a lot of um, other organizations that go in and support childrens. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had, um, yoga for parents, massages for parents. I mean, all that stuff. I didn't take advantage of those, but I know people who did and, and it was beneficial for them, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think, you know, you need it. You definitely, you need, you need my, uh, my escape or my treatment for myself when my therapy was when Anna's tutor came for the day, I would take a walk. So that was my, that was my outlet when, you know, her tutor was there. I'd leave her with a tutor and I, you know, walk around the Longwood area for that hour and come back. Wow. Tutor so. as in for her academic um, yeah. side of things. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, wow. And uh, actually on that note, I, I remember, you know, recently we started this, we call it a campaign, but just asking parents, how do we make 
our children and family 1% happier and more comfortable, just 1%. I feel like we could all do something. And one thing I heard was uh, several parents replied, the fact that their teachers are treating them normally, you still have your responsibilities, you still have homework due, you're supposed to help uh, other students or be helped. Um, what, you know, hearing that the tutors were active at the hospital, do you think it was a it was very positive for Anna during that period of time to have the normalcy? Yes. Well, she had one tutor that she that she really liked and was very. Uh, again, she was at Latin school, so the the her classes were a little bit more challenging than some of these tutors were prepared for. Um, she was taking Italian. There wasn't an Italian tutor. She was very frustrated about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fortunately, one of her one of her friend's mother was from Italy, so she stepped in to help her out. But um, yeah, I think that having that routine. So the story was that her twin brother Will, because mm -hmm. um, Children's was right across the street from Boston Latin, mm -hmm. he would um, collect all her assignments and run mm -hmm. over to the hospital and give her her assignments. Then he would run back to school for practice, wow. and then. While he was at practice, all her friends or the pals would come over and they do homework together, just like they would at my kitchen table. They just did it at her hospital bed. And then um, they would leave and Will would come back home from practice and they'd go over their homework together, you know, and Will would try to, you know, fill in the blanks that the, Anna's friends weren't able to fill in or, or oftentimes she was helping him do his homework instead. Um, and then... You know, I, I think that routine, we got into that routine and that that helped. I mean, a, you know, him running over, then the girls coming over around three. I mean, I looked forward to that part of the day when, you know, they were all coming and it was normal. Their noise, having them all around. That was normalcy. That's what I liked. That that made it less hospital-like, if that right. makes sense. Yeah, oh. so that, that, that having her be accountable for those assignments really, I think, kept things more normal. Wow, I I completely forgot about the fact, and I watched in the video that, you know, you know, as having a twin brother, not just a sibling, but somebody you, in your grade is, yes. you know, going through the same courses. So that is just uh, incredible to have that system, having that network, and and doing homework together. That is such a, I still remember that from school days, like. Um, that will make the, the process so much easier to have that interaction and uh, have those discussions. That's amazing. Um, well, it was really great too, because the doctors and the pharmacists and everybody on the floor, she had a question. I remember this one particular question was whether the flu virus is living or not living. Mm -hmm. And um, she would go around and every doctor who came in, hey, one of my assignments said, what do you think? What do you think? The pharmacist, what do you think? So, I mean, it was, she was getting input from a lot of different sources to figure out the answer to her questions. That's amazing. And then the next day she'd come in like, you were wrong. You had the wrong answer. Exactly. <laughs> that would be pretty exactly. funny. Wow. Oh, I absolutely love this, this part of the, the story. Um, I, it's so funny. I always write down these questions and I feel like I almost never really look at them. Uh, and what are... I, I, the hardest part sometimes for me to talk about, but somehow I find it almost tolerable for me to talk about is being someone who, who have gone through this. I remember, uh, I was there, um, during the final days, really the final day of my dad, unfortunately. Um, and I instantly knew there was a 
better way for for someone to um, tr- transition into another side of this world. Uh, my dad passed away in the ICU. We didn't really know any better. Being home wasn't an option. That's why what really propelled me to want to know everything about palliative care. Um, so, you know, I, I feel like the in terms of the, the final days of Anna, Chris, if it's even possible to talk about, you know, what was the environment that she was she was in? That's something I didn't didn't know coming into the interview. She was home. Wow. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. uh, I mean, she had spent so much time inpatient. Mm -hmm. Um, She just, she just wanted to be home. In fact, when we took her in, she had been home on a um, clinical study. Mm -hmm. It was, uh, I mean, she knew her body very well. It was obvious that uh, I think the clinical trial had stopped working and uh, she didn't feel very well and um, she was getting sick and clearly probably dehydrated mm-hmm. and I told her that we needed to go in we need to go in and see you know and she she didn't want to she didn't want to she didn't want to finally I talked her into going in we went to the emergency room and you know unfortunately we found out that the leukemia was back and it was back pretty aggressively. And, um, and I said, what do you want to do? She mm-hmm. said, I want to go home. So we, we came home. Wow. Yeah. Well, and, and may I ask how long she stayed at home, um, since that trip? It was, uh, a week and a half. Oh, wow. I should have, I, first of all, I apologize. I should have asked, you know, if she, um, were home before I even approached the question, but I just had the feeling that she was home. And somehow that always, um, you know, I think it's very almost comforting to hear, to know that someone is home because I've been really advocating and pushing people to not be at the hospital, but, you know, knowing for a lot of people, that's not really an option. And that's one thing I would absolutely change if I could go back in time to, you know, help my dad. But um, to be home, I, I, I also think I would, I feel like I could already see it. You know, Anna would have all her friends from school visiting her in interns and to be able to see them. Wow. Not even interns. They came as a pack. Oh. Yeah, they came as a pack. In fact, that that last day they were here, they were here, they were doing her homework. She was just here. She wasn't really engaging, but she was here and they were just sitting there doing their homework like they would mm-hmm. any other day. Wow. That's, oh, wow. Just have to let this moment sink in. Oh, um, so... Yeah, this has been super lovely and helpful, Chris. Are there certain things that I haven't asked that you really want to share and talk about? I'm sure there are many, but I want to give you that moment. I don't think so. I mean, I just think that, I don't know. I feel like that if people are are struggling, they should definitely go talk with someone. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't feel like that everybody has to. I think people have their own, their own network, their own ways, their own mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, I think that, you know, I, my heart breaks for anybody who has to go through this because it's not, it's not what you dream about when you bring your baby home for sure. You know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's an incredible story and I am so, uh, grateful for you to, to really, you know, keep going. I mean, this is like, this is Anna's legacy and I, you know, I'm not a religious person, but I truly believe that there is, um, there is another side of, of this. I, I truly believe we'll, we'll all meet again. Like we've, we've never really left each other. Um, and you know, not in just a superstitious way. That's kind of what I always believe that there's, um, there's another side to this, not just by saying it like Christy, you, do you feel the same way too sometimes? Or I, I feel like there's absolutely no way I'll never see her again. I just, that would not, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to function if that were the case. You know, yeah. I feel like they're, I don't know. I've had too many, too many things that, you know, remind me that she's still around in some way. You know, I just feel like, I don't know. I know that my friends probably think I'm crazy and people think I'm crazy, but I just feel like there's too many, I don't know. Too many little cues. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everybody believes their own thing and everybody has their own philosophy and that's, that's fine. And I think, you know, it's whatever gets you through the day. You know, you yeah. leave what you need to believe to get you to that next, take that next step, do the next thing. Yeah. I just, I just choose not to believe that I would never see her again. Right, right. But I, I think I know what you mean, like over the years, and I, I've seen a lot of cues to all of that, you know, where we buried my dad, it was just, um, he wanted to be in his hometown and there was just flat ground. There's nothing there. And since we buried him, there is, there was a small tree at first and everybody was looking and, and now, you know, it's been 11 years and now it is a grown tree and people, it, you know, we're all thinking like, how could this be? Um, there's never been anything here for the past 20, 30 years. And, you know, and then like my dad's favorite number friends is always 12. He passed away at like 12 o'clock, like 12 past 12. And I know these are kind of moments I live through and a lot of things I purchase now completely. And the numbers I get while waiting in line, like random things, it's just, I keep seeing it recurring to me. And even my mom and I are like, I, we, we both thought like people think we're crazy, but it's, it's not, you know, it's, there's so many signals, um, that he's never left. And so. I know I don't I don't hear him or get to really talk to him, but I can absolutely feel that he he's always been there. So, um, so I, I believe in you, Chris. This oh, is thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I thank you so much for your time. I really the way I see these conversations is not that you know this is done. I would love. I want to subscribe to the newsletter. I want to know if there's anything, any way we can help you. We are publishing the blog post article on our website as soon as Sloan submits it to us. And then we're going to edit this episode, add it to um, basically right next to the story. So it's kind of a complete experience for people to experience on a story. Um, and if there's anything else we could do, please, um, please let us know. Please ask and reach Thank out. Thank you. Thank you. No, I would love to talk to you more about um the YouTube side of it and the branding and stuff like that. I mean, anything we can get, I mean, I really believe that, um, once I have the property, the money will come for the housing and then 
then, you know, I could see, you know, one of the, like Jordan's furniture, giving us the furnishings for the home and stuff like that. But we need to get there first. Like I need the, I need the land before I can buying beds and couches. You know what I mean? So, Mm -hmm. I mean, if any, any ideas you have to putting that into motion would be greatly appreciated. Wow. It is really ambitious. I have thought I saw one house. Absolutely. The answer to your question is, is yes. I didn't realize your, that, that plan, I thought it was like one house or five. And that now, as you mentioned, it is five cottages, like right. all, so kids yeah. can interact with other families, the other children. Yes. yes. Wow. This you know, is- they don't, I don't want to send them to the beach and have them be the only bald kid on the beach. I mean, yeah. first of all, they're, they feel self-conscious already, right? Yeah. And then there are some parents and some adults and some other kids, kids don't mean to be mean, but they will point, right? Mm-hmm. They'll point, they'll say, hey, that kid doesn't have any hair. Or, hey, you know, why isn't that kid walking right? Or hey, not to be mean, but that's mm-hmm. just how kids are. And mm-hmm. on our beach, there won't be that because everybody will be the same, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's important. And the parents will be able to talk to other parents who are going through similar situations. This works for me. You could try this or, oh, I tried that. That didn't work so much. Mm-hmm. You know, just, just conversation. I mean, your friends and your family are fabulous, mm-hmm. but talking to someone who's actually going through it, just like you, that brings mm-hmm. it to a whole new level. I mean, really makes a difference. And we would like to provide that for these families. I mean, that's so important. For sure. That is what my friend uh, said, actually. Yeah, that's what Helena said, is to be able to speak with someone with the exact diagnosis. And there's nothing more helpful than that. She's been very resourceful. And to be meeting someone in person, that's incredible. I'm, you know, even the digital side of things helped. But to be there in person, to share a meal together, to sit in front of the beach, that is, that is, it's going to be so amazing. So Thank you so much, Chris. I, yeah, Thank go you. ahead. You're going to say something. No, I was just saying, I, I, I hope so. I'd like to be there. I wanted to be there already. You know, I want to get this done. These families need it. You know, and I feel like the diagnosis is getting more and more common instead of less and less. And, mm-hmm. you know, Boston does over 100 bone marrow transplants a year. That's 100 kids a year that are in lockdown. I mean, that's that's tough. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, it's not just it's not only cancer, there's so many different um, right. diagnoses that might trigger, might, might have the same outcome. So right. yeah, wow, what an incredible journey you've taken on. And I know the whole family is involved. I've seen them in the videos. So yes, yeah, we'll, we'll do our part to support you. There are other, and I will, I will be following up with some of the comments for YouTube. I know everything just seems like more work. Um, but it seems like, um, you know, Sloan and her team are going able to help out to a certain degree. Do you, Chris, do you have anybody? They've been fabulous. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you have a team like even a virtual assistant or content creators who can assist you with some of these, um, some of these things? Is it, I assume, you know, there's a company. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, um, the company that Sloan works for has been, Kristen, the owner has been fabulous and they've been really helpful in, in pushing us forward and getting us where we need to be. Thankfully. Yes. Great. Great. All right. There's so much more to come and I'll leave the rest of the details in the email. Thank you so much, Chris. And we'll continue this conversation for sure. Sounds good. Thank you so much. 